ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد Today then as you will be aware, we're starting the course on Ramadan. The course that will carry on now for the next few weeks up to Ramadan and into Ramadan insha'Allah ta'ala. And for this year we're going to be going through an explanation of the book or the book known as Al-Umdah. This is going to be the explanation, Sharh Al-Umdah. And the explanation is going to be by Shaykh Al-Islam Ibn Taymiyyah, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. The original book, as you know, it's written by Ibn Qudama Al-Maqdisi. But the explanation we're going to use is the explanation of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah ta'ala. So at the beginning of this chapter then, Kitab al-Siyam, he says, Jima'u ma'na al-Siyam fi asli al-lughah al-kaffu wal-imsaak wal-imtina'a. He begins by explaining what the word Siyam actually means. What the word Siyam actually means in the Arabic language. And he says, overall, basically the meaning of the word Siyam in its basis and origin is Al-Kaf Wal-Imsaq Wal-Imtina' Meaning, to withhold to stop yourself, to withhold, to restrict yourself, to hold back. That is the meaning of the word siyam, sawm in the Arabic language. To withhold from something, to hold back, to restrict, to stop yourself from doing something. That is the meaning of as-siyam lughatan. وَذَلِكَ هُوَ السُّكُونَ وَضِدُّهُ الْحَرَكَةِ وَلِهَذَا قَرَنَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى بَيْنَ الصَّوْمِ وَالصَّلَةِ لِأَنَّ الصَّلَةِ حَرَكَةِ إلى الحق والصوم سكون عن الشهوات فيعم الإمساك عن القول والعمل من الناس والدواب وغيرها You have to get used to the fact that this explanation will not be 
like the explanations we are accustomed to, the explanations of books we typically do, and we've gone through over the years here and in other places, you will see that this explanation is different. And that is basically because the works of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah ta'ala, are at a higher level and a different level to the general types of explanations we normally use. So here he says, Siyam linguistically is to withhold from something. And Siyam fasting, it is a sukoon. Sukoon, which the opposite of it is movement. You have movement and you have a lack of movement. Like in the Arabic language, you call the sukoon the round one. And that means there is no movement on that letter. The haraka, dhamma fatha kasra, indicating a movement on that letter. You have movement and you have a stationary type of position. He says fasting is like the stationary type of position, whereas prayer is the movement type of worship. And that's why Allah mentions fasting and prayer together in the Qur'an a lot. Because the prayer is that movement to the truth. Whereas fasting is that calmness and holding yourself back from the desires When fasting, you are holding yourself back, withholding from desires. And when it's prayer, then you are, in essence, in movement to the truth and in obedience to Allah. And linguistically, like we said, fasting means withholding. And that can be withholding from anything. It can be withholding from food. It can be withholding from speech. It can be withholding from movement. Somebody who is withholding from doing something, then he is fasting linguistically. So somebody who is not speaking, is withholding from speech, is linguistically fasting. You have the example in the Qur'an where it says in Surah Maryam 26, إِنِّي نَذَرْتُ لِلرَّحْمَانِ سَوْمَا عِسَمْتَا That I have vowed to Ar-Rahman Fasting. But what is the tafsir of this ayah and what was meant by fasting here? Fasting from speech. That she would not speak. Withhold from speech. They also have an example in Arabic poetry where they say that the horse is fasting. 
meaning that the horse is withholding from moving, standing still, not wanting to go anywhere, not wanting to move. The horse is withholding from movement, so the horse is fasting, because fasting means to withhold from doing something. خَيْلٌ صَيَامٌ وَخَيْلٌ غَيْرُ صَائِمَةٍ That there are horses that are fasting and horses that are not fasting. The ones that are fasting, i.e. fasting from movement, they won't move. So they are withholding from movement. That is the meaning of صيام and صوم linguistically speaking. To withhold from something. Islamically speaking and even amongst the norms of the people when using the word fasting and using the word sawm and siyam, that term has been used and is used for specifics. So normally, a person when they use the word fasting, they won't mean movement. You won't normally use the word to say the horse is fasting, i.e. it's not moving. You wouldn't normally do that. In the norms of the people, the word fasting is used for certain specifics. In the Sharia, legislatively speaking, the word Sawm and Sayyam is used for certain specifics. And that is a general type of rule you can understand. Words linguistically have a given meaning. Like in this case, Sawm and Sayyam linguistically mean to withhold from something. Words have a linguistic meaning. Then they have an Islamic meaning, a legislative meaning. And the Islamic meaning will simply be the linguistic meaning, but with restrictions and specifics on it. The Islamic meaning of a given word will be the typical linguistic meaning, but with certain restrictions and specifications on it. So now linguistically, generally, fasting means to withhold from speech, from movement, from anything. Islamically though, it is withholding from certain specifics. So Ibn Taymiyyah mentions here, that is usually identified by withholding from the specifics of food and drink and intercourse and other than that from the specifics of Islamic fasting. So you understand the way the words work. For example as well, as-salah. Linguistically speaking, the word salah means what? Linguistically speaking. Lughatan, dua, means supplication, invocation. Islamically speaking, it is a very specific type of dua with very specific words and specific movements. 
It's a specific dua. You can't just make dua at the time of dhuhr and say, that's it, I've prayed. I've done my salah. Salah is dua. I sat and made dua. Can't do it. Because Islamically, salah is a specific type of dua, how it's done. You have, for example, hajj. Hajj in the Arabic language as a linguistic term means Lughatan. They say Al-Hajj Lughatan, meaning of it is Al-Qasd. Your intent, your objective. You have an objective, you have a goal, a target. That is the type of meanings of the word Hajj. Islamically, of course, it can't just be any target objective going anywhere. It is restricted with the objective of Mecca and Muzdalifah and Arafah and those locations. So the point being, words have their general linguistic meaning. Then they have an Islamic meaning, which is the same as the linguistic meaning, but with restrictions and specifications. So here it is to withhold linguistically. But Islamically, it is to withhold specifically from food and drink and intercourse and other affairs that we're going to discuss as we move along, insha'Allah ta'ala. فَخُصَّ فِي لِسَانِ شَرْعِ وَالْعِرْفِ الْغَالِبِ بِبَعْضِ أَنْوَاعِهِ وَهُوَ لِمْسَاكُ عَنِ الْأَكْلِ وَالشُّرْبِ وَالْجِمَاعِ وَغَيْرِهَا مِمَّا وَرَدَ بِهِ الشَّرْعِ فِي النَّهَارِ عَلَى الْوَجْهِ الْمَشْرُوعِ وَيَتْبَعُ ذَلِكَ الْإِمْسَاكَ عَنِ الرَّفَثِ وَالْجَهْلِ وَغَيْرِهِمَا مِنَ الْكَلَامِ الْمُحَرَّمِ الْمَكْرُوحِ فَإِنَّ الْإِمْسَاكَ فَإِنَّ الْإِمْسَاكَ عَنْ هَذِهِ الْأَشْيَاءِ فِي زَمَنِ السَّوْمِ أَوْ كَدْ مِنْهُ فِي غَيْرِ زَمَنِ السَّوْمِ So, Islamically speaking, it is a specific withholding from food and drink and intercourse. And other than that, from the legislated items during fasting, during the day, i.e. from the time of Fajr entering, مِنْ طُلُوعِ الْفَجَرِ إِلَى غُرُوبِ الشَّمْسِ to the rising of Fajr, when the Fajr time starts, up until when the sun sets, with an intention in the manner prescribed in the legislation. And also withholding from corrupt speech and actions, withholding from jahl and rahath, from the evil speech and the incorrect speech and false behavior, Withholding from all of these types of things, those are the specific types of withholding that fasting is. And we're going to cover those as we move along, insha'Allah. Fasting is also termed as patience. Fasting is also known as patience, as-sabr. So what is fasting also known as? 
patience ve minhu kavlun nebi sallallahu aleyhi ve sellem sevmu şehri sabr ve thalafeti eyyam min kulli şehr te'dilu sevmed dehr this particular hadith mentioned in the musnad of al-imam Ahmed and also in various other books has an authentic chain of narration that the Prophet said sawmu shahri sabr fasting the month of patience so the month of Ramadan the Prophet called it the month of Patience, fasting the month of patience and three days from every other month, then it is equivalent to fasting a full year. Fasting the month of patience, i.e. Ramadan, and three days from every other month, is equal to fasting a year. How come? How come? Huh? Because what? 36 10 times? Where does the numbers come from though? Ayo, but 36, what is 36? No, but we're not sure what. Sawmu shahri sabr wa thalathati ayyam min kulli shahr. So anybody else? So good, his answer was correct, but it was on the other hadith. It's the same, same uh, mathematics. Every good deed you do is multiplied by 10. Every good deed you do is multiplied by 10. So when you fast three days of every month, three days is really the equivalent of 30 days. So three days out of each month, it's like you fasted the whole month. So the 11 months of the year where you do three days out of each month, it's as though you've actually fasted the full 11 months and then add that to the full month of Ramadan that's a year and then the Ramadan its reward is unlimited as we're going to come and see later on inshallah so the point being here the Prophet called the month of Ramadan the month of patience and that's why Shaykh al-Islam says fasting is sometimes known as patience another side point are you allowed to say Ramadan or should we always say Shahru Ramadan, the month of Ramadan? When we talk about it, should we always say the month of Ramadan as a phrase or is it allowed to just say Ramadan? Anybody? Mm-hmm. But is it allowed though? 
It doesn't, it doesn't matter what it means, is it allowed? Are you allowed to just say Ramadan? Or are we supposed to have to say the month of Ramadan every time we explain it or talk about it? Is there not a hadith? Is there not a hadith that says don't say Ramadan because Ramadan is a لا تقولوا رمضان لأن رمضان من أسماء الله تعالى What about this hadith? Don't say just Ramadan because Ramadan is a name of Allah. And in the Quran, what does it mention? شهر رمضان So should we always say شهر رمضان or can you just say Ramadan? The hadith is da'if. The hadith is weak. Ramadan is not one of the names of Allah. So forget that. But in the Quran, Allah does say, Shahru Ramadan. However, the Jumhur, the Jumhur of the scholars, they say, the majority of the scholars, they say, it is okay. Even though in the Quran it says, the month of Ramadan, it's allowed for you to just say, Ramadan. The hadith about it being one of the names of Allah is weak. That as a side point mentioned by some of the scholars, Al-Hafidh ibn Hajar, he mentioned it in Fath al-Bari. Then, on the point of it being called the month of patience, Ibn Taymiyyah then says, وَقَدْ قِيلَ إِنَّهُ عُنِيَّ بِقَوْلِهِ وَاسْتَعِينُوا بِالصَّبْرِ وَالصَّلَاةِ لِأَنَّ الصَّائِمْ يَصْبِرْ نَفْسَهُ عَنْ شَهَوَاتِهَا In the ayah in Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah tells us, seek aid and assistance through patience and through prayer. And so this patience being referred to here, it is relevant to the person who's fasting. Because what does the word patience mean? As-sabr, lughatan. Linguistically speaking, what does the word sabr, patience mean in Arabic? So when somebody tries to annoy you, then you withhold yourself from anger. So your word that you used there to withhold, that is something very relevant to patience as well. Patience is habsun nafs. To, to get a hold of yourself. Patience linguistically means to get a hold of yourself. To restrict yourself. Control yourself. And you can see how that overlaps and is very close to the meaning of sayam. To withhold from something. So fasting is the month of patience. And Allah says, seek aid in patience and prayer. Patience is something a person who's fasting is upon and is learning. So that is a point there Ibn Taymiyyah mentions about the connection between fasting and patience.
Then Ibn Taymiyyah also mentions here that fasting, Sawm, is of five types. There are five types of fasting. The five types of fasting, number one, As-Sawm Khamsatu Anwa' As-Sawm Al-Mafrood Bishara' Number one, the fasting which has been obligated by the Sharia. The fasting that has been obligated by the Sharia. And that is of course the fasting of the month of Ramadan. That you could say is two categories. So really that's category one and two. How come? Because the fasting of the month of Ramadan can be done ada'an or it can be done qada'an. Either you're going to fast Ramadan in Ramadan initially or if you miss it, you're going to fast it as qada', making it up. So that can be classed as two categories under the same category. The fasting that has been prescribed in the Sharia, in the basis of the legislation. The fasting of Ramadan. And you can consider it two types. One is the actual fasting of Ramadan in Ramadan. And then there is the fasting of Ramadan as qada. Afterwards, when you make it up for days that you missed up, it's still the fasting of Ramadan, but outside of Ramadan. You're making it up. Then the third category is the fasting. Well, what are the other categories of fasting? What other types of fasting are there outside of the fasting of Ramadan? Voluntary, you could say that's a category then. So, mutatawwa', voluntary fasting. For the rest of the year, there are so many voluntary fasts. Three of every month, we just mentioned. The voluntary fasting for the rest of the year. That's a type of fasting, voluntary fasting. That's three categories altogether now then. Fourth, the fasting of the kafarat, expiation. Certain acts, if you do them, your tawbah, your expiation from those acts involves fasting. So you may have to do fasting to expiate yourself from certain acts. And the last category The fasting when you've made a vow Somebody takes an oath That they are going to fast On a given day or whatever When you take an oath to fast For example Somebody give us an example of that How do you do that? But how would you do it first? You would say that I make a vow. You make a vow, you're going to fast on Friday. So now you're going to have to fast this Friday. You've made a vow. So then you're going to have to do Thursday with it as well. Because you're not supposed to fast Fridays by itself. But the point is, when you make a vow, before you made the vow, 
Was it obligatory to fast that day? Was it obligatory for you to have to fast a given day next week? But when you make the vow, now it's become obligatory. So those are the five different types of fasting. Then, in the text of Al-Uddah, it mentions Mas'ala وَيَجِبُ صَيَامُ رَمَضَانَ عَلَى كُلِّ مُسْلِمٍ بَالِغٍ عَاقِلٍ قَادِرٍ عَلَى الصَّوْمِ وَيُؤْمَرُ بِهِ الصَّبِيِّ إِذَا أَطَاقَهُ So the first, what you could consider chapter. What you'll notice here is this type of book we've not done before. Normally books of fiqh are organized in two methods. One method, which is typically what we've done in previous years, is the method of organizing a book of fiqh per hadith. So you mention the hadith like we do Sahih al-Bukhari now. You mention the hadith and then the explanation of that hadith. Then you mention the next hadith and the explanation of that hadith. And you go on like that. Hadith per hadith. This book, the other style of writing the books of fiqh, is not hadith per hadith. It's issue by issue. So you mention a topic and then you mention all of the various hadith that go into that topic. Then when you're done, you mention the next topic and mention all the hadith that go into that topic. When you're done, you mention the next topic and all the hadith in that topic. That's how this book is. So the first topic has been mentioned here now. And that first topic is, he says, يَجِبُ صَيَامُ رَمَضَانَ عَلَى It is obligatory to fast in Ramadan upon كُلِّ مُسْلِمٍ Every Muslim بَالِغْ Reach the age of puberty عَاقِلْ has his senses intact. Qadir has the ability to fast. So how many conditions mentioned there? Upon every, how many conditions? Three, what are the three conditions if there's three? Somebody said three. Don't start backtracking now. The ones who said three, what are the three conditions then? Age of puberty, has his intellect, that's the intellect, the senses, and ability. So the kafir, who is of the age of puberty, has his senses and has ability, fasts, and is rewarded and everything. So there's four conditions mentioned here. Every Muslim has to be upon Islam, Muslim. A kafir can do any act of worship he wants, it won't be accepted. Muslim, who is of the age of puberty, has his intellect, his senses intact, and has the ability to fast. So now, all of this is going to be broken down by Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah. He says, to discuss this point, and that point, that line we've read, is the original text. 
from the original book. Shaykhul Islam is now going to explain that line. He says, في هذا الكلام فصول There are chapters, there are sections we're going to have to break down in explaining this now, he says. Ahaduha, first one of them, أَنَّ صَيَامَ رَمَضَانَ فَرْضٌ فِي الْجُمْلَةِ He says, first thing to mention here is, before you even get to any of those conditions, is to say overall and generally, fasting is a prescribed obligation. Fasting is a prescribed obligation. Before you even get to the conditions of who's going to fast, prior to that, fasting, we must establish by the Qur'an, the Sunnah, etc. that it is a prescribed obligation. وَهَذَا مِنَ الْعِلْمِ الْعَامِ الَّذِي تَوَارَثَتْهُ الْأُمَّةِ خَلَفًا عَنْ He says the fact that fasting is obligatory and prescribed is general knowledge that has been inherited throughout the ummah. Even the jahil person on the street doing drugs and drinking alcohol knows about something called the month of Ramadan and fasting. Everybody has that. It is a knowledge that has been passed down. This recognition in the ummah of fasting of Ramadan. That is something passed down and known. But nevertheless, of course, there are evidences in the Quran and the Sunnah for it. As for the Quran, then what is the evidence from the Quran for the obligation of fasting? Surah Al-Baqarah 183. I have no idea what Ayah 183 is typically. What is it? So the Ayah... One eighty-three, just for verification purposes, the ayah one eighty-three in Surah Al-Baqarah. Ya ayyuhaladina amanu kutiba alaykum al-sayam kama kutiba alaladina min qabalikum la'allakum tattaqun. That all you who believe fasting has been prescribed upon you just as it was prescribed upon those who came before you. Fasting has been prescribed upon you just as it was prescribed upon those who came before you. This ayah clearly indicates the obligation of fasting because it tells you, kutiba alaykum, i.e. furida alaykum, it's been obligated upon you. So there's the evidence that fasting is obligated upon us. It also tells us that it was obligated upon those who came before us. There is a difference of opinion between the scholars as to how that obligation occurred before us. Who is the us? Not this generation only, but all of this ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
So fasting was prescribed upon us, the Muslims, the Ummah of Muhammad But the ayah tells us fasting was also done by nations, by prophets and messengers before Muhammad How though is a difference between scholars? Was it prescribed upon nations who came before us exactly how it's prescribed upon us? There was a month and they had to fast in this same way as we do? Or was it prescribed upon them as fasting generally, but in whatever other way it was? Difference of opinion between the scholars. But nevertheless, in whatever form it was prescribed upon the nations that came before us. From the time of Nuh alayhi salam, as some scholars have mentioned, from the time of Nuh alayhi salam, fasting has been recognized and known. This, the scholars say as well, is an indication of how beloved this act of worship is to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That it is an act of worship that has been prescribed throughout the generations, throughout the different umam, the different nations. So that is the proof from the Qur'an that fasting is an obligation. When studying fiqh like this, this is a typical method. They mention an issue. They mention firstly, before going into any topics of the issue, the proof for that issue. From the Quran, from the Sunnah, from the consensus. Then they move on into the topics of the issue. So this is establishing the proof for fasting. That is the ayah. Then there are multiple ahadith which we're going to come across. One of the simplest ones is the hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar radiyallahu anhuma when he said Buniyal islamu ala khams Islam is built upon five and they are shahadati <coughs> Exactly So shahadati an la ilaha illallah wa anna muhammad rasulullah the testification of Tawheed, then Iqam is Salah, the establishment of the prayer, wa ita is Zakat, the giving of the Zakat, wa Sawmi Ramadan, the fasting of Ramadan, and the Hajj, Hajjil Bayt. So that is the proof from the Sunnah that it is an obligation. You also have the famous Hadith of Jibreel. When Jibreel asked the Prophet Islam, the Prophet told him that Islam is built upon the five pillars and fasting was mentioned too. So clear evidences in uh, those narrations regarding the obligation of fasting. Will suffice with those two. Ibn Taymiyyah actually goes on for pages with a hadith upon a hadith mentioning the evidence that fasting is an obligation. But moving on, he then says, وَقَدْ أَجْمَعَتِ الْأُمَّةِ إِجْمَاعًا ظَاهِرًا عَلَى وُجُوبِ صِيَامِ شَهْرِ رَمَضَانِ That this ummah is united openly, clearly, upon the obligation of fasting the month of Ramadan. And that this month of Ramadan, it is what month in the Islamic calendar? How many months in the Islamic calendar? 
12. Ramadan is what month in the Islamic calendar? The ninth month of the Islamic calendar. What is the eighth month of the Islamic calendar? Sha'ban. And the tenth month of the Islamic calendar? Shawwal. The eleventh. And the twelfth. The month of Hajj. So the ninth month of the Islamic calendar is Ramadan. Then you have the tenth month, which many will recognize as Shawwal because of the six days of Shawwal. Then you have the eleventh month, Dhul Qa'dah. And then you have the twelfth month, Dhul Hijjah, the month of Hajj. So after Ramadan, there's only two and a half months until Hajj comes. And those months after Ramadan are known as the months of the 10th, 11th, and 12th are known as the months of Shawwal is just one or three can't be known as the months of Shawwal. No. Hajj. Three months are known as the months of Hajj. You sure? That's correct. The other months of Hajj. Those three months are known as the months of Hajj. But how come when you can only do Hajj in one month, obviously? Hajj is Hajj at the specified time. So why are three months or two and a half months up to Hajj known as the months of Hajj? More than that. But how? Because Hajj is one specific date. In the 12th month, on the 8th of that month, the day of Mina begins. The 9th of the 12th is the day of Arafah. The 10th of the 12th is the day of Eid. The big Eid. So how are these months known as the months of Hajj? Possibly. But because when you do Hajj, it's not our topic right now, digression, but when you do Hajj, there are different types of Hajj. There are three different types of Hajj. You can do any one of them and it counts as Hajj. From the forms of Hajj, there is, for example, a Tamattu'. In the Tamattu' Hajj, you do firstly an Umrah, and then you come out of Ihram, and then you do a Hajj, and that connected is Tamattu'. The Umrah part of it, you can do anywhere in those months. Hence, they are known as the months of Hajj. You couldn't do the Umrah part of the Hajj prior to those months. It has to be in that time zone. But anyway, here it mentions then that the Ummah is united upon this fasting and that this fasting is the ninth month of the Islamic calendar. Before it, it is Sha'ban and after it, it is Shawwal. What year was Ramadan prescribed? What year did this obligation come in? The second year, how do you know that? It was in that book, when did you read that book? A few days ago, excellent. And that's what you're supposed to do. So it is in the second year of Hijrah. 
that Ramadan was prescribed. And so how many times did the Prophet wasallam fast Ramadan before he died? Why are you asking, is it nine when you're reading the answer and you know it's nine? <laughs> so it is nine. The Prophet ﷺ fasted nine times before he died. So that is the month of Ramadan. It appears we jumped ahead of ourselves. Ibn Taymiyyah now is going to discuss this topic of whether you can call it Ramadan or it has to be Shahru Ramadan. Briefly he says, it is better, not obligatory, better that you say the month of Ramadan. Al-afdal an yuqal jaa shahru Ramadan wa sumna shahra Ramadan muwafaqatan li lafz al-Qur'an wa akthar al-ahadith. He says it's better that you phrase it as the month of Ramadan when referring to it. We're going to fast in the month of Ramadan. The month of Ramadan is coming rather than just Ramadan. He says it is better, not obligatory, but just better because the Quran phrases it as the month of Ramadan and most of the hadith mention it as the month of Ramadan too. Even though there are narrations, there are a hadith Ibn Abbas mentions in one of them. Ibn Abbas in one of them mentions the word Ramadan by itself. So he says it is better to say Shahru Ramadan, but it's allowed and the Jumhur of the scholars have said it is okay to say just Ramadan. The hadith that we mentioned before which is weak is the hadith of Abu Hurairah. Radiallahu anhu, that the Prophet said, La taqulu jaa Ramadan, fa inna Ramadan ismullah, walakin qulu jaa shahru Ramadan. Do not say Ramadan has come because Ramadan is a name of Allah. Say the month of Ramadan has come. That is the hadith of Abu Hurairah, but this hadith is weak. And why is it weak? But why is the hadith weak? There are definitely some people here who know. There is a majhul in the chain of narration. There is a majhul, an unknown individual in the chain of narration. وَفِي رِوَايَةِ لَا تَقُولُوا جَاءَ رَمَضَانِ And these are all narrations that speak about Ramadan being the name of Allah, so don't say Ramadan. But in summary of that topic, as we said, the majority of the scholars have explained, the narrations are not authentic, and so it is permissible to say just Ramadan, even though according to the majority of the narrations, it does always refer to it as the month of Ramadan, and that's why Shaykh al-Islam says it is better and preferred that you say the month of Ramadan, but... It's not something which is not allowed to say Ramadan. Then also he mentions why is it called Ramadan? What does the word Ramadan actually mean? 
Where does the word Ramadan actually come from? What does it mean? Why do we call the month of Ramadan Ramadan? Anybody? Why is Ramadan a name that you've been aware of since we were all kids? Ramadan is coming. Ramadan. But why is Ramadan called Ramadan? Or as many people, not just the subcontinent, and you know how it is, Ramzan. For many people, not just the subcontinent, in case people are listening and they don't know what Ramadan is. So why do we call it Ramadan? Which means what? Mm, so that is one of the possible meanings. They say that the word Ramadan, قيل سمي رمضان لأنه يرمض الذنوب. Because it burns the sins. Ramadan, the derivative of that word in the Arabic language means to burn. So they say maybe Ramadan is known as Ramadan because during it, your sins are burnt away through your fasting and your worship and your obedience. There is other reasonings to this too. Some of them they say that Ramadan, it occurs or it occurred in the summer months in the severity of the heat. And Ramadan, its root meaning is from heat, severity of heat and burning. And so maybe that's why that month became known as the month of Ramadan. And Originally, it is mentioned that the Islamic months, their names were given to them in accordance to where they originally fell. And Ramadan originally fell as a summer month. And therefore, it was known as Ramadan. That is mentioned as one of the reasonings behind it. That's the first chapter. The second chapter then, which will start the next time. The second chapter is regarding the sighting of the moon. Because again, that is going to be a prerequisite to the conditions of the one who can fast that we're going to get onto. Having all of the conditions present still doesn't mean somebody can fast until you actually see the moon of Ramadan. So it's going to mention a little bit about the sighting of the moon uh, and some topics leading on to the establishment of Ramadan. And then after that, it's going to go on to the actual conditions of being Muslim and having intellect and the various conditions to be able to fast. So we'll leave it on that and carry on from that next week, inshallah ta'ala, um, straight after Maghrib. So by next week, it will be about quarter past eight. We start or something, inshallah ta'ala. Any questions on that so far?
expiation when what's an example of when you might need to fast to expiate a sin we're actually going to come to one of them in the chapter of fasting what's one of the things you might do if a person falls into it during fasting then one of the eventual possibilities is that you have to fast two months consecutively intercourse during the day of fasting if a person had intercourse during the day of Ramadan then one of the eventual expiations is fasting so fasting to expiate a sin that you may have done or some shortcoming that may have occurred from you in certain acts anything else about what there are only two main examples that are always mentioned one is regarding the fasting which we're going to talk about later when we get to it anyway and what's the other main example killing someone killing a Muslim and the expiation is fasting What's the other one that you can't fulfill? That you can't fulfill being killed as a recompense? You don't want to accept the death penalty? Unintentional killing? What else? That's an example. In the Hajj season, if you can't sacrifice, you make up days with fasting. Anything else? For oaths, if a shortcoming occurs in an oath that you take, then that leads also to a possibility of fasting in the expiation. Those are basically main examples there. In Hajj time, in oath time, in uh, the fasting time, there are certain acts where those expiations have one of the options, sometimes as an open option, sometimes in order you can only get to that option if you can't do other options. That fasting becomes an expiation for the sins. Anything else? So, what's we'll, oh. a white day? What's a white day? What's a white day? What do you mean a white day? Where did you hear that term? He was doing a white day. So somebody said he was doing a white day. Or white days. He was doing white days. He was coloring something in white or he was doing something white. White days. That means that he was fasting three days. The white days, you know when the moon comes out, when the moon first comes out, what does it look like? Crescent. Then it gets bigger and bigger and becomes half and then it becomes full and then it starts going down and down and becomes half and crescent and disappears again at the beginning of the month it's the crescent when does it become a full moon in the middle of the month it takes two weeks to become a full moon when it's a full moon then it's really bright and everything looks white those three days in the middle of the month are therefore known as the white days. And it's in the sunnah to fast on those white days, which are the 13th, 14th, and 15th. 
That's the white days. So when somebody said he's doing the white days, it means he's fasting on those days. Tell us more. What you can say is uh, more. What's the date today? Islamic date today. Islamic date today. It's what? 30th, so about two weeks. There's about two weeks left. Then you can do those three days. You can fast those three days. Three days in the middle of the month. 13th, 14th, 15th. I'm not sure what more I could mention. That's uh, similar to what's mentioned in the other narrations as well about the multiplications of deeds. But uh, the white days... I don't think we're going to get to them because the white days are considered which category of fasting from the five categories we mentioned? Voluntary fasts. And it's unlikely we're going to get to that chapter of voluntary fasting. We only have maybe five more Saturdays, three or four before Ramadan, a couple into Ramadan, and that's all we're going to have. But inshallah, we'll see how far we can get. No, it's just to say that it's a proof for obligation. It is generally makruh to make oaths. Why? Uh, that is disliked. It's not good to make oaths. Uh, or uh, oaths meaning the types of oaths when you say because why does a person make an oath basically why do people make oaths why would a person make an oath that next week I, oh, I make a vow to Allah I'm going to fast these days normally people do it as a recognition and appreciation to Allah for some blessing or they are making that vow in expectation of some blessing from Allah oh Allah if you bless me with such and such then I vow that I will do this fasting and that fasting. The hadith mentions that is a type of miserliness from the person. You should go and do those acts of worship anyway, not just say, if this happens and Allah bless me with this, then I'll vow to do this and that. So generally, vowing isn't good like that. It's not something you should do and make a habit of like that. Oh Allah, if you give me this, then I vow I'll do X, Y, and Z. Because that shows your miserliness that you're not going to do that worship otherwise unless you get this or that. But if you do make the vow, then of course, Islamically, it is upon you to fulfill the vow. Unless it is a vow that is made upon something haram. If you make a vow upon something haram, to do something haram, then you cannot fulfill that. But that's a, a whole other chapter, a whole other topic. If you want more details briefly, then go to Kitab al-Tawheed, the chapter of Vowing, vowing for other than the sake of Allah and the chapter of vowing explains the hadith and the rulings about vowing in general. But that's a whole different topic. Anything about Ramadan? In that case, we'll stop there for tonight. We'll carry on next week, inshallah ta'ala, straight after Maghrib prayer.